You're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Commentary Trek Stars, a show which covers the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I need to make a more succinct version of that explanation. I think it's pretty succinct. Not very succinct. Okay. I'm Mike. I'm more intense. And this is part five of our look at Gene Roddenberry, (laughs) in which we cover Genesis 2. That is the sequel to the Sega Genesis. Yes. Genesis 2 is a failed pilot which aired on television in 19... Don't say failed. It succeeded at not being a TV show. Okay. Genesis 2 is a pilot which succeeded at not being a TV show. Kicked ass at that. And aired as a television movie in mm-hmm. 1973. Mm-hmm. So the movie was uh, written by Gene Roddenberry, and it starred Alex Cord, and was directed by John Llewellyn Moxie. It's the basic premise of this show. In the year 1979, <laughs> a NASA scientist named Dylan Hunt is studying suspended animation. He's trying to develop a way for uh, astronauts to essentially be cryogenically frozen for uh, long trips. And uh, he is at the testing phase of this, and he decides to put himself out for like a day or two. And after they put him out, there's an earthquake in his underground facility. Yeah, you've seen that episode of The Twilight Zone where that happened? Yeah. Or that episode of uh, Buck Rogers? Right. Or that one Star Trek. <laughs> or all of the other things that did exactly that. Right. So he wakes up. Army of it, Darkness did that. Army of Darkness does that. <laughs> it, it, Aliens does a version of that. But uh, he wakes up in the year 2133, and basically the bombs have been dropped, whatever. The world has been destroyed, and now there are little pockets of humanity living around the world, along with little pockets of mutants living around the world, mm-hmm. trying to survive. Muties. Yes. We need to have some sort of registration system to keep track of these guys. That's what I'm saying, right? All right. Okay. So, he is is picked up by uh, this society of people called PAX. That's the, uh, the, the Christian TV channel. Mm-hmm. And... Um, there's there's another group called the Tyranians, which are mutants. Mm-hmm. And there's some confusion on his part as to who are the good guys and who are the bad guys. Because the Pax guys, they say that they're scientists who rebelled against the military. And that they're trying to rebuild humanity mm-hmm. in their peaceful image. But they're also all about keeping down the uh, the human urges. They they don't they're not they're not big fans of uh, of the sex and whatnot. Yeah, they are not they are not cool with uh, with humping or uh, token, right? Or uh, chugging, right? Whereas the mutants, anything that ends with an apostrophe, they are not cool with. Yeah, whereas the mutants are kind of fun loving party animals. They've got two belly buttons. And yes. and such, mm-hmm. and uh, they seem to be uh, the happening the happening folk on the planet. However, they are also kind of using humans as slaves, and um, you know Dylan isn't really down with that either. 
And it's really kind of cool uh, in the first episode how they don't make it a, like a clear-cut thing about, you know, these are the good guys, these are the bad guys. Like, he has to figure it out for himself. And there isn't really a, a definitive uh, answer until later on in, in the episode. Um, so, so that's kind of cool. We won't go ahead and get much further into it because we don't want to spoil things. But, uh, oh, no? No, no. But um, what, what do you... What what are your thoughts on on Genesis two on the whole? Oh, um, it it feels so much like a TV pilot. It it might actually be where people got the idea for TV pilots, even though it came after a lot of other ones. Do you consider that to be a good thing or a bad thing? Um, I'm gonna go with bad. Okay, because I, I mean, like just just randomly picked that out of a hat, but I mean that's how the script was written. So I figure it's thematically appropriate for the episode. Okay. All right. I I didn't think it was very good either. Um, I think that, that there seems to be an obvious uh, attempt to cash in on the success of Planet of the Apes from a few years prior. This is a really weird thing because they, apparently this was actually being produced in parallel with a Planet of the Apes TV show. They didn't go with Genesis 2. They went with Planet of the Apes, the series. Oh, really? Yes. Have you seen Planet of the Apes, the series? Yes, I have. And is it better? Worse? Oh, I don't know. I found that part of my brain and scooped it out with a screwdriver. Okay. All right. It, it, it might be fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it, like, if, if you look at this, it's like, basically, you take the apes and replace them with mutants, and you've got the same basic Well, premise. I mean, technically, we're all mutants. Okay. Evolved through mutation, so you know, mutants, apes. I mean, doesn't. I'm talking. Doesn't really work I'm talking mutants of the the double belly button variety. Oh, freaks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's true. Okay. Um, Monsters. Yeah, I I didn't think it was very good. Um, it, one of the things which really sort of bothered me about it was um, the the lead actor, Alex Cord. Really, I thought that dude. Had just an exceptional mustache. It, it was. It was very. It was the most seventies porn mustache you could possibly I mean, want. That guy's mustache it, like made me think. How come they don't make brooms out of that kind of thing? And but also, I mean, it wasn't entirely his fault because I think the character was like really poorly written because he was really sort of like a Superman. You know, like he was sort of like the the solver of all problems. I mean, one of one of the plots in here is that the mutants are they're like, oh, he's a NASA scientist. We need to get him to fix our nuclear power plant yes. to, to give us power. Now, I understand that he's a NASA scientist, and I understand that scientists, especially of the NASA variety, are pretty smart. But he was working on suspended animation. Yes. So, how much is he going to know about you know? nuclear power enough well, to fix a nuclear power plant well it it's sort of it's it's sort of odd but the the idea of the person you know to survive uh through a long chunk of time in which skills have been lost essentially like you know art forms died skills you know vanished from the earth i mean it it, it happens all the time i mean the the fact is that, you know, we we don't have the same level of uh, of, of you know cobblers, or you know, uh, or you know people who know how to work with you know stone masonry. I mean, like there are skills lost all the time, but like that was the that's essentially the old way 
of of like you know science and research and there was a time when you could actually you know spend you know your 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 teen years and your early adult years just doing research and learning things and you could actually become basically conversant in the 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 sciences and arts of everything you sure. could basically know how everything worked and and then you know, the Industrial Revolution happened and population expanded to, you know, a billion people and then many more billions of people. And now we're in this, you know, ridiculous number. And uh, and so nowadays, or in, even in, in the 70s, there was – people were still sort of operating under the assumption that you could be a jack-of-all-trades. You could know how to do a lot of stuff. And, it you know, it's not true. It wasn't true then. And and some people knew it and some people didn't because there still were many, many examples taken for granted uh, of, of you know, a brilliant person who knew how to do all of the stuff. Well, I mean, maybe that's true, but... Um... And, 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 and the fact is that, you know, people who were making TV, Martin Roddenberry, he, he was old enough to remember when you could know almost everything. I guess so, but he's also a fairly intelligent individual and you would think that he would know that some of these concepts such as, you know nuclear power are rather complex and and it's it does it's not just limited to that either it's, it's not, like it's not. he he's also like a uh like a man of action you know he's he's yes. like he's like he seems to be like this brilliant military strategist in this episode whereas you know like the other people who probably do a lot more fighting than he's ever done are like inept at it yeah what's up with that I don't get it. It's, well, it's uh, it's the same thing. I mean, it's the idea that that you know things are lost over time, and and you know this the apocalypse is essentially a reset button. It allows him to it allows you know the entire show to start with okay, there was an apocalypse, everything fell apart, society collapsed, and these people might fight. But they don't know history. They don't know how Napoleon did things. They don't know large-scale battle tactics. They don't know how to like 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 infiltrate. They don't know how to you know like spring ambushes and various things. They don't have any of these skills because that knowledge has been lost. But this one dude, he knows all that stuff because he was a really smart guy when he got frozen, and now he's been thought out, and he's the smartest dude in the room. It's it seems really weird to me. I mean, it seems really weird to structure your show around like this one guy who's essentially like a god, you know. I, it's okay, but if you think, hey, what if they thought him out and he was just a really smart guy and it was the future and you had it a little bit more realistically. Like, you know, uh like there are lots of smart people around you know like uh the fact is that you know like i'm a pretty smart guy if i got thrown up in the future i'd be like i don't know what to do i i have, I have no idea how to fix this machine i have no idea how to beat those guys in battle do you have guns okay that was my whole plan any other thoughts on on the episode as a or the movie or whatever or the show the premise of the show at all just <laughs> It's it look. It's the episode is terrible. It's as as a concept for a series. It's as 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 decent as a lot of other bad TV shows that ended up being all right. Would you have watched the show if it if it had continued? Um, probably would have eventually got around to it, I suppose. But uh, I I can't imagine it being great. Uh, the fact is that it, it's the 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 pilot is structured kind of like a road movie. 
in that it's mostly about traveling from point A to point B and seeing stuff that's there, which is a thing that they do in with it's like all over the the sci-fi genre. It's like anytime you know somebody like us ends up in a sci-fi sci-fi changed altered world, like we go on a tour. Mm-hmm. It's like over here. This is where we have um, the Big Brother exhibit. This is where where I explain to you how we're all being monitored by cameras. And, and, and governments. And over here, we got the gene splicing thing. This is where we make aliens and whatnot. And over here, we got the brain recording devices. And over here, we got people in pods. And it's like, this is just, just a road movie structure. And like, it's all over the genre. And it's pretty much always dramatic death. Going from point A to point B is boring. Mm-hmm. And, but uh, it's also, you know, like... The, you know, Orwell did it in 1984 and it works fantastically because there's basically no story. It's more or less just a tour. It's a tour of a lot of neat things. But there's but there's not really any character development in that book. It's not really about anything other than the place. And and there are times where you completely forgive that. TV, it's a little difficult to get away with that. You kind of have to at the very least buy the protagonist and want to see what happens. And within a few minutes of watching this, modern audiences, I imagine they would probably go, I don't buy this protagonist, and I kind of wouldn't care if he died. That is a possibility. Then again, it could be a protagonist of a show that lasts for like a good five years. You never know. I don't buy it. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll see in a few weeks. Um, okay, a little bit of background on, on this episode. Alex Cord, the TV actor dude. It seems that his biggest success, his big claim to fame, is that he's the star of the Airwolf movies. John Llewellyn Moxie is the director. Yeah, he directed some things, and I and 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 I don't remember what they are now. I he, knew like a minute ago. He directed a ton of television from the '60s through yeah. the '80s. Probably his most prolific work was on Murder She Wrote. Um, as far as you know, Trek alumni in this episode, obviously Gene Roddenberry wrote it and produced it. He created the show. Um, but there's a few other people. Uh, the the lead uh, mutant is played by Marriott Hartley, who played Zarabeth in All Our Yesterdays. Now, yeah. say what you want about All Our Yesterdays. Okay? I have. <laughs> yeah, and um, give me five minutes. I'll come up with something new. <laughs> When 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 Zarabeth comes in in her in her uh, her her furry coat thingy, oh, and then she takes off the furry coat thingy. We're doing this. Oh my god! All right, yeah, that almost makes that episode watchable. There, there were attractive women all over that series. That's true. I mean, the cage has. A hot chick in it. Yeah. Well, well she's I mean, like straight up hot. It was Star Trek, you know. That's what yeah. they did. That's what they did. You know, and you had Until the end when she was all quasimodoed. <laughs> but uh That's a verb now. Is it? Okay. Yeah, I just right. made it one. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> but but yeah, Marriott Hartley. Oh my god. Other uh Star Trek alumni, Percy Rodriguez. He plays one of the PAX leaders. Um mm-hmm. he also plays Commodore Stone in Court Martial. To me, he will always be the voiceover dude from the Star Wars Trilogy Special Edition. For over a generation, people have watched Star Wars on the television screen. 
Oh my god, he's awesome. He also did the voice of uh, the voiceover for the Jaws um, trailer. I mean, he he did. So he pretty was the much, voice of the shark. What in the trailer is he like? My name's Jaws. I'm I coming to, to interpret eat it you. That way. Okay, I haven't seen that trailer, but um, he did a, a lot, ton of voiceover work. He has a very, very distinctive voice, a, a very uh, awesome voice. It is the voice of my childhood. If someone is going to narrate my life, I want it to be Percy Rodriguez. That dude is awesome. He's got to be my favorite voiceover uh, announcer ever. Majel Barrett is in it, of course. Is she? Yeah. <laughs> wow, that guy's branching out. She plays one of the uh, the, the PAX uh, elders as well. Ted Cassidy, best known as Lurch on the Adams Family. He stands out. He is the, uh, amongst other things, the voice of the Gorn in Arena. Uh, so behind the camera, there was one more Star Trek person, very important person, Jerry Finnerman, the uh, cinematographer on the original series. He was also the cinematographer on this, and um, his work on this doesn't stand out nearly as much as it did on the original series, if you ask me. His work on the on the on the original series was <laughs> transcendent. No, don't. That sounds ridiculous. Well, whatever. It's the original no, series. No, his work but, on the original series was pretty good for what it was. It's pretty awesome. Hey, I made that Burbank set look like. Um, it cost more than it did otherwise. No, there was more to it than that. He had a very... See this uh, cardboard wall? He, he had it a totally very... totally doesn't look like cardboard. He had a very avant-garde style, which which made the movie, or which made the series feel like it was made by um, really serious filmmakers. Oh, that is not true. I, I disagree. That is not true. I it disagree. made the series look like very, very committed theater people i disagree who were really into dramatic lighting and okay. overwrought self design uh, okay okay Here, here's the distinction that's how he lit it mm-hmm. but the way that he shot it was avant-garde no it wasn't it was actually fairly conventional the, I, I the, the show the show is shot like a non-science fiction show which is significant but it was not shot in any way, strangely. All right. We will agree to disagree on this okay. topic. So this show d- succeeded at uh, not getting picked up. and uh, It excels at that, sir. But, but not, as Star much, Wars reference. not as much as some shows, because very similar to what happened with The Cage, it, it failed at succeeding at not working well enough just well enough for the studio to commission a second pilot um and and in in star trek tradition and where no man has gone before tradition roddenberry essentially made an episode two yes but changing a bunch of things in order to uh you know make the show into something slightly different and that that uh, sequel pilot movie thing, which came out a year le- later, was called Planet Earth. Um, still had you know the the lead actor played a character named Dylan Hunt, but this time he was played by John Saxon, who is a, a really cool actor. You know he was in Friday no 
Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes. He was also, uh, has gained um, sort of, uh, or regained notoriety in, in recent years uh, because of his work with people like Quentin Tarantino on things like uh, CSI. It's too bad. And um, Feel bad for that From Dusk Till Dawn. Really cool actor. Way better than Alex Cord too. I think that that, that casting, it, it, it is kind of like putting William Shatner in there instead of Jeffrey Hunter. But just imagine Jeffrey Hunter being a lot worse than than uh, than Jeffrey Hunter. Jeffrey Hunter being worse than Jeffrey Hunter? Yeah. Like a like a like a doppelhunter? Right. I think that there's something funny about this to me. This is this is hilarious. Okay. All right. What? The, they there was a show called Earth 2. Uh-huh. Genesis 2. Uh yes, Genesis 2. And it, and it was like, "Oh, that didn't really work." Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, we'll make the Planet of the Apes show instead. I bet that will be awesome. And then they go, that didn't work. This is not a solid idea for a show. What was that other show idea that was very similar to this one? Let's try that one again. That one that wasn't as good as this idea, which we why we went with the other one. Let's try the one that wasn't as good as the one that failed again. Mm-hmm. Hey, that didn't work. Who saw that coming? You guys, did you see that coming? I thought this would rock. Well, it's interesting. It, it, uh, the changes to it were, were interesting. No. Okay. Well, okay, so, so you had John Saxon as Dylan Hunt. They actually they recast a couple of other people, but they also kept some on. You know, it was very similar. Like, like the, who's the noteworthy guy? Ted Cassidy, Lurch, mm-hmm. right? They bring him back as the same guy, but they change his character slightly to make him more alien, you know? One of the things which which I thought was interesting was uh, the style. They brought on Mark Daniels, who we talked about before, who's you know directed a whole bunch of episodes of Star Trek, and like it really felt way more Star Trekky than the you know imagine like Star Trek where you're on the arena planet the whole time. Yeah, it was. It's actually kind <clears throat> of odd because there are a lot of aspects that are significantly improved. Mm-hmm. Except for like the stuff that really matters, like well, the 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 story was probably not, worse. It, it was it was a little bit worse. It was just a little bit worse, but it was you know it, it was pretty bad to begin with. But like the 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 the, the way it was shot, the way it was edited, all mm-hmm. seemed like it know, was a improved. significant step up. Yeah, it, it was, was like they went from like you know like 1973 to like 1989 really fast, and it was not then. It was, it was kind weird. of ahead of its time. It was like the, the change in style was similar. I know this is going to be a weird poll. It was the, cha- the change in style was similar to the change in style between season one and season two of the Ewoks cartoon. Actually, I hated Ewoks. So I mean, but season one of Ewoks was was much more sort of like it had natural tones and, and stuff like that. It was it was very uh, almost uh, uh, standard and earthy. Whereas season two, they, they went a more vibrant, cartoony route, you know, and I, I got the impression that they did that here, too. But it was also like the production value was upped quite a bit. Anyway, the, one of the things which I found to be interesting about this is, you know, they didn't redo the origin story. You know, the first one is very much an origin story. It starts off in 1979. He gets he falls asleep. He wakes up. It's the future. And this one, they just do a narration where they're like... I was a scientist, blah, 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 blah. Here's what happened in the first thing. It's actually very similar to um, Buffy when you think about it. 
You know, it, it's like yep. the first episode of Buffy is kind of a sequel to the movie, but in a different continuity. And I guess what another thing that's weird about it is, like, I hadn't thought about this, unlike the cage and where no man has gone before, it wasn't like they had produced the cage and said, try again, and then they did where no man has gone before and then aired it. Like, I'm assuming that Genesis 2 aired before they greenlit Planet Earth. So, like, people would have seen Genesis 2, and then if this show Planet Earth got picked up and started off, they'd be like, this is really similar to that Genesis 2 movie that I saw last year. It's bizarre. This is even that guy. But and that guy. guy. Yeah. But it's not that so guy. similar. That guy's different. And that guy's mustache is gone. Yeah. Maybe it flew south for the winter. But um, there was more action... And the plot was much more standard. It, it really felt more like a typical episode of what the show would have been than just the origin story. And basically the plot of this one, it was kind of like Angel 1. Well, they, they, they deal with the mutants who have been changed. They gave them foreheads. They look like next generation Klingons now. They, yeah. just, they don't have the two belly buttons anymore. And um, for a, a contri- because of a contrived series of events... They need to go undercover into this matriarchal society in which the women enslave the men and use them to do their bidding, right? Mm-hmm. So he's got to pose as like a subservient man. And there's the great line where he's like, it's like women's lib gone mad. Yes. <laughs> Anyway, so he does this, and, right, and the thing. leader... Roddenberry okay. didn't come around to gender equality until a little <laughs> bit later. All right, he did. Let's be, let's be fair to the man. He did eventually get there. It took a while. Yeah. Um, but the, uh, the, the, the leader of this, uh, of this matriarchal society is played by Diana Moldar, who played Pulaski later on, and of course was also on the original series. Moldar? M-U-L-D-A-U-R. I've always said Mulder. All right. Regardless, <laughs> she's in it. Um, so that was kind of interesting and cool to see. That that pilot failed as well. But it didn't stop them from trying again. Hold on. No. That, they gave up on the idea. They were like, hey, this idea doesn't work. Let's do a version of this, but that has a lot less thinking and a lot more shooting. Okay. I, did you see Strange New World? I investigated the strange new world. Okay, I didn't watch it. And the reason why I didn't watch it was because after Planet Earth failed, Roddenberry was gone. I don't know whether he left to pursue other things, if he was, you know, at that, that, that point he was working on the animated series, or if they were like... Oh, he was he was tearing that bad boy up. I don't know if they were like, you know... He was know, like, man, I'm not going to work on that live action show. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to work on this animated thing. I got an alien with three arms. <laughs> He never moves. <laughs> it's awesome. Well, whatever. This is the most avant-garde animated <laughs> series anyone has ever done. Well, whatever the reasons. Turning this out. Whatever the reasons may be, he did not come back for Strange New World. Um, that one, they went way further away from it. I'm Well, way further by like a little bit more than they did last time. They kept John Saxon on, but they renamed the character. And the idea behind this one, from what I gather, is basically they were astronauts and they flew away from Earth, mm-hmm. whatever, 
happens. They come back to Earth. Nuclear holocaust. The world is now new and strange. Not necessarily in that order. This is a funny thing. This is I mean, this is just odd to me. But I mean, like uh, in the era that Star Trek was on, um, Rod Serling was a really really big deal. Yeah, and um, you know, I, I grew up on you know Star Trek, Twilight Zone, lots of science fiction from the sixties and fifties, I suppose, and then I. Uh, you know, I when I when I was just, you know studying Star Trek, I actually found you know some sort of overlap where like you know press covered Star Trek and press covered Twilight Zone, and press covered Rod Serling, and and there were instances where Rod Serling was like, Star Trek's fantastic, Star Trek's a fantastic show. It's one of the best things on TV right now. It's a shame that's being canceled. Mm-hmm. And like there's there are quotes of that, and I was like I was like that's amazing. Rod yeah. Serling loved Star Trek. Rod Serling was right. I love Rod Serling. I love I love all these people. This is fantastic. I love that they were like getting along. Yeah. Arthur C. Clarke was like, I hear it's pretty good. <laughs> I'm down here in the Bahamas and I don't have a TV, but yeah. I've heard it's pretty good from some very smart people. Uh, I got Rod Serling in my fantasy football league. We talk about it all the time, and it's like it's like you know, oh yeah, yeah. Rod Serling loves his thing, and then eventually Roddenberry gets around to ripping off everything Rod Serling ever did. Yeah. Like he like <laughs> this is basically like two episodes of the Twilight Zone or, smooshed together or and then Planet, redone Planet of the Apes, which Rod Serling wrote. which Rod Serling wrote. Yeah, now you can rip off yourself. I, this is my feeling. Rod Serling ripped off Twilight Zone in order to make the Planet of the Apes script, and that's cool. And then Roddenberry's like, I'm going to take that idea and make it not work all that well and use it basically as an excuse for a person who thinks like a present-day American to interact with people from the future. I bet you no one has ever thought of this before. Strange New World, one interesting little Star Trek connection. That one was directed by Robert Butler, who, of course, directed The Cage. That one didn't get picked up for a series either. But that didn't stop them from trying one more time. Hold on. This time they figured it out. (laughs) This time time they figured figured it out. out. This time it's like, hey, let's do that. But instead of doing that, let's do something else and use those names. (laughs) Apparently, (laughs) and I'm not 100% positive on this. But apparently, in 1976... Oh, this is... Come on. <laughs> Gene Roddenberry... All right. ...came up with an idea for a show called... You know, you, you know just, because you, just because you dreamed something doesn't mean it's research. <laughs> apparently, in 1976, <laughs> Gene Roddenberry came up with an idea for a show called Andromeda, which was basically, from what I gather... Genesis 2 in space. Mm-hmm. And Robert Hewitt Wolf, who's a very talented writer of Deep Space Nine and now Alphas, and he's also worked on 4400, he developed a show out of Gene Roddenberry's notes called Andromeda. From what I gather, Andromeda being a sort of redo of Genesis 2, it's not. obviously has some similarities to Genesis 2. Not really. So... Wolf took a lot of the ideas for episodes which Roddenberry had developed for Genesis 2 and made them Andromeda episodes. There's, it's it's a very interesting okay, yeah. uh, thing. But I mean, like, it's the, a thing the, that, that happens. way, way different. The names are the same. A yeah, couple Dylan Hunt. little things are the same. But like, but, like, you know, when when you take your concept of, like, you know, 
you know, post-apocalyptic Earth, mm-hmm. and like there's a camp over here, and there's a camp over here, and one's mutants that you know, you know, keeps humans as slaves, and one's you know, super peaceful people who are all like, uh, don't do anything too fun, or we will not be cool with that. Like those are that's the group. All right, you know what? Let's let's <laughs> let's put that in space and have a have a have a whole species be these guys and have a a species be these guys, but not really dealing with the other guys because those aren't that interesting. Well, Andromeda, we, we'll stop with our analysis of Andromeda here because, for one thing, I haven't seen it, but also we're going to be covering it in depth in about three weeks. So, any final thoughts on Genesis 2? What would I say? Okay. That's just nothing. There's okay. nothing to say about it. I, I mean, what? So I, I I pretty much agree that it's it's kind of a flimsy show. Um, I, I did find the pilot to be sort of interesting in the way that it was structured, but um, especially in watching um, uh, Planet Earth, like I can't imagine watching this show for any length of time. It it just does not seem to be my cup of tea, um, and and it does seem rather problematic um, as far as like characters are concerned and stuff like that. So. In the end, I guess I'm I'm not tremendously upset that this show didn't get picked up. If you want to check it out, it's on YouTube. So check it out on YouTube. Yeah. Um, but I would say neither of us really recommend doing that, right? Aside from the historical significance. If you're a big Andromeda fan and you want to see where that came from, check Aside it out. Aside from the historical significance? Yeah. If you're listening to this... You probably want to check that out. All right. Go check out Genesis 2. It's on <laughs> YouTube. Um, as always, you can find us. Uh, another on... instance of Mike forgetting what the show is. Okay. Yeah. As always, you can find us uh, on uh, Twitter at ComTrackStars. You can also uh, check out our other podcast, Commentary Track Stars, at CommentaryTrackStars.com. You can also email us at comtrackstars at gmail.com. Um, and, <laughs> and, or you can leave a comment just on Trek FM. That, that works out too, right? Yes! And be sure to check out Do the that. other shows on Trek FM because they're really good. Yes, uh, and, they are. And uh, tune in next week when we discuss the Questor tapes.